0: Hello everyone and welcome to Pucks on the Dasher, a hockey podcast, and I am your host this week, Adam Glass. Uh, Where are we going to start? Um, So I did watch something actually hockey-related this week. Uh, After last week's podcast, Sean mentioned the Leafs all-or-nothing documentary that's on Amazon Prime, and I have to admit I've never watched it, I think partly because of how that season ended for the team, Um, and also because it's... um, I just had no interest in it, I guess. I don't know. I do kind of find hockey players boring, a little bit, a little bit boring. Um, I do remember watching the Capitals-Penguins 24-7 back in the day. That was actually pretty fun. Um, You know, just seeing Boudreaux swear a lot. Um, Mike Green riding the tiny scooter to the practices. Uh, What else? Those are the two major things I remember was that all? No, that was... I don't remember. Anyways, um, so let's talk about the Leafs one. Uh, so I basically watched, I think... I started watching the first episode. I got about 20 minutes in. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I turned it off and I walked away from it for a few days. Because I just found it super just cringy and not... I don't know. I just... It was just boring and very... It seemed very contrived and like forced in a lot of ways. And very like reality showy but not like behind-the-scenes reality show, doc stuff, more like, I don't know, like an episode of a, you know, Real House, Button that I've ever watched one, but I'm pretty sure I kind of know how they work, Um, one of those shows. So I walked away a few days later. I was like, you know what, it's really not that long at the end of the day. So let's just get through this thing and see how it goes. Um, So I'm just going to go through some initial, I didn't take notes while I was watching it, which I definitely should have because um, i'd have more specific stuff written down because i'm sure there was a lot more things that i would have discussed but i just kind of did a quick before i recorded here uh brainstorm of the things i quickly remember or or things i text tyler about um while i was watching it uh so here's some thoughts on the Lease all or nothing amazon prime series uh seeing that tavara stuff again i hated it didn't it, i basically looked away i watched I watch TV wearing headphones just because I have an ear issue, um, and that's the only way I can really hear it properly. So I couldn't really take the audio off immediately. but um, So the audio was actually also disturbing, because you can hear him kind of yelling at one point during the whole. Um, I'm obviously referencing him getting hit by Perry. They do a little quick clip of that in the, like the previewing part in the first episode and that was definitely one reason why i wasn't sure if i wanted to keep watching it and then when actually seeing it in the final episode when it happened um that was very disturbing like super disturbing like i did not i don't yeah it was not great Um, but other than that i was watching it and i got what it was four or five episodes i got maybe halfway through it and i was like this is anything are you guys gonna show us anything at all interesting other than like Keith walking into Dubis's office all the time and talking to him, like what is that all about? That was way too much of that whole doc. those and so much of that stuff was just I didn't find any of it. The only stuff I found interesting in the whole Keith and Dubis talk combo um, was the Galchenyuk stuff. When Keith was like, "We got to kind of put this guy in the lineup," or "What is he doing here?" and Dubis was basically like, "Well, look, if you're gonna..." put him in the bottom six, then there's no point, and I'll just wave him again because there's no point. He's done that in a hundred different places. It's not going to work, and it's not going to work here. unless you're. So they ended up putting him in the top six. He did some stuff. He obviously had that super egregious giveaway in the playoffs in overtime um, that you can hear the bench just screaming as soon as it happens, like, oh, no, why? Uh, um, but um, that I found interesting. Uh, Keith and VC I thought was pretty hilarious because you could tell as soon as Keith started having the conversation with VC VC already knew what the story was because obviously he had been passed around a lot at that point too um and I forget exactly how he said it but I feel like he said to Keith after he said it so either you don't know what my game is or you don't like me and then he just kind of skated away <laughs> um and then obviously he got claimed by Vancouver and then even Shanahan was kind of surprised that Vancouver claimed him but uh, anyways, the other things that, that, there was this whole thing with the haircut guy, which I thought was really just like, we have to fill content here. Like I didn't find any of that interesting and not only that, but they didn't even go into much, like it felt, it just literally felt like filler. Like it didn't get us anywhere. It didn't show us anything. It didn't really tell us anything more about any of the players. Um, and VC got chided by, I think his, sister or somebody he was related to his hair was so long and it was literally shaved on the side so I thought that was kind of funny but um the Joe Thornton hmm I'm not a big Joe Thornton guy I know a lot of people that are are very big Joe Thornton guys I don't hate him I don't love him he's just a player to me and when he came to the Leafs it was like okay what does he have to bring and seeing kind of what he was behind the scenes. I don't know if it was the best idea to have him around there. Did this one part was like a team leaders meeting. And like the first thing that Thornton says, I don't remember what it was, but it was like a completely like sarcastic tongue in cheek. Like you're reading the room completely wrong right now. Comment. And it just draw, like you could hear a pin drop after he said it. And then later on he tried to like make a joke, but it just like, why is he there? Like, why? honestly, why is he there? Really. He was new to that team. Sure, he's a veteran, and I get it. And you have, like, what if you had a lever What if he found out? Like, to me, from the personality that I kind of got in that meeting, he shouldn't have been there. And I think him not being in there was just telling him, like, you are not part of Like, to me, he, I don't know. Maybe I'd have to know, see more of it. But to me, from seeing him in that documentary, I was like, I don't think that was a great idea. And this also seemed like a thing that, maybe wasn't necessarily a Dubas thing, maybe it was like a few other people, or him bowing to people and bringing him in, like obviously he got paid nothing, like whatever, he got hurt immediately, like the first week or whatever, he got played way too high up in the lineup for what he really brought, like, seeing how he basically didn't play at all the next year in Florida, like that's probably what he should have been doing, I don't know, Maybe I'm just it. Just that whole thing in that meeting really just totally changed my entire perception of the guy. It just felt like could you not read the room right now? Like they're basically sitting down and being like, "Hey, we're kind of in a little. We're not playing the right way right now, and this isn't going to work in the playoffs." And you're just making jokes about like you thinking you're like, yeah, it was, it was weird. Uh, other things I wanted to talk about before I do my final rant on the thing that totally like just totally set me off on this series. Um, the Dubis stuff with his family seemed unnecessary. I don't necessarily like using, putting children on any kind of media like that, especially when they're so young. Like it just, it didn't really, I think you could have done everything in that scene in one shot and you didn't need to get behind the scenes with it. And I get it. They were in COVID. They were totally limited by what they're actually able to do compared to most years where they would actually have the players going out and doing stuff and they could follow them and all that. Like it was COVID, they're all wearing masks half the time. Like Keith is trying to give these huge pump up meetings where he's like screaming and his mask is on. And it's just like, this is like, I get it. But man, this is just bad timing year, I guess. Um, but they kind of knew going into it that it was going to be that. Year. Like, I'm sure they had it planned a few years ahead of time. But I know they at least had reportedly already turned down something like this before. Um, So I don't know why they decided to do it this year. Well, that season, I guess you could say. Uh, But I just... Anyways, the Dubas family stuff seemed unnecessary. It didn't get us anywhere in the show. It didn't really reveal anything that you couldn't have done in like a one shot, essentially. Or him just like hugging his kid in a B-roll or talking about his you know, wife or whatever. Like, it's just, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff in there that seemed really forced. Um, Okay. The one other thing that seemed very forced is there's a shot where Hall and Muzzin are hanging out um, in one of their backyards, do it like basically golfing onto, basically pitching onto a lower green in the backyard. Uh, And randomly out of nowhere, they start talking about whether they think aliens exist. And there's no segue to it that I remember. It just is kind of like a cut from a golf shot into like one of them being like, hey, do you think aliens exist? And then them having like a conversation on it, which is whatever. It's fine. It was, I guess, something. But it just felt so like the editing of it felt made it feel like they just threw a bunch of stuff at these people. we were like, hey, what about this? What about that? What about this? And then they talked about them all. And that was the only one that actually kind of brought something out of it so they just threw it in there and it's just i don't know there was some things with the editing of this whole the choices of amongst this whole doc like i would love to know what they cut because if this is the stuff they chose to put in like they must have had so much footage where they were like nothing's happening this is so boring like i just yeah a lot of players getting stuff done like getting massages on their legs and things like that and it was like okay yeah he's injured but like this is not i don't some of this like they showed some weird stuff that they would do like where they cut open wayne simmons cast and like put something in there to stimulate bone growth that was that was a whole thing so here are my final thoughts since i've already done like way too like almost 10 minutes i think on this stupid documentary that i would never watch again and i would honestly not recommend anyone watch to be honest uh, i found it kind of very boring and it's not a season that i think anyone would want to remember just, i guess if you're a habs fan but why would you want to watch all that if you just watch the last episode and that's going to get your stuff for the Habs if you're a habs fan i guess um but they're not really showcasing any of the stuff you guys did but okay so there's a big storyline This is obviously the season where Freddie Anderson, his last season in Toronto, Jack Campbell's first season in Toronto, where he kind of took over the reins, won like 11 games in a row, set an NHL record, et cetera, et cetera, was super, super on fuego, if you will, for like two or three months, um, brought the Leafs back and, you know, put them on the path into the playoffs. But Freddie did the whole thing where he got hurt and then it was like, I can't play and you could tell the trainer was like, he, it's his choice kind of thing. And Dubas is like, okay. there was a lot of like, you could tell that, that there was probably would have been things said if the cameras weren't around that were, they. there was a lot of lawyering, if you will, lawyer speak kind of, um, or tiptoeing around things that they actually wanted to say uh, amongst that whole conversation there. But they did this thing in the one episode where they were talking about goaltending and they were shooting, the showing this B-roll. And it was well-shot B-roll. Like, it looked nice. You know, like, Amazon obviously has a budget, so it should look nice, if you will. Um, but they had two ballerinas. And they had leaves painted on their faces. And they had little cages. And they were talking about the metaphor of them being like ballerinas. Because Will Arnett did the narrative, so he's talking about it. They're showing the ballerinas. They're also showing the goalies doing kind of similar things. Okay, so now you've done it twice. You've told me about it. You've shown it to me. And now to absolutely hammer it home, you paint the faces. It looked so ludicrous. It was ab- I was literally laughing out loud that I could barely hear any of the metaphors they were trying to make, which were so ham-fisted and obvious. It was insane it was the silliest thing and there's really nothing else like it in the whole documentary I it once again it just felt like well we could I guess we got to make all these obvious metaphors and put them in here and not only do we have but we're gonna spend probably a whole day or two shooting these ballerinas and that's gonna cost us you know 30 grand or whatever for these two days with these ballerinas and it was so dumb it was kind of it was kind of not great. But I do kind of want to go back and watch it again purely to gift stuff out of it. There are a few lines in there that I would absolutely love to have gifts of or facial reactions or things like that. I don't know. Maybe they're out there if I just look hard enough. But final thoughts Leaves All or Nothing. Would not watch again. Didn't want to watch it in the first place and decided to. Do I regret my decision to watch it? I mean, it wasn't that much given the amount of content I can sometimes consume. Um, but I, I maybe I just don't like these kind of documentaries. Like I've never really watched any. I know people are really hot and heavy on the F one, and then I think there's a few like football slash soccer uh, ones that people always say oh are really good, and I have no interest in those. So maybe it is just, I'm not really interested in the, but I've watched so many of those 30. Yeah. But I guess those are more documentaries than behind the scenes. Um. So yeah, all the 30 for 30 ESPN docs got added to Disney plus. Well, not all of them, but a bunch of them have uh, recommend pretty much all of them. I've rewatched a bunch of them now. Um, so, but we're going to move on to actual hockey stuff now, since I just spent like 20 minutes talking about, Oh, well, maybe 10, whatever, 15. Who cares? I actually wrote down the time I started so I can remember uh, how long I'm going this week. So that's, I guess, good for you. Uh, and this week's show, so I'm just going to do the standard fantasy stuff now. Uh, and then I am basically going to take all the things from... That happened over the week, and I'm going to take a bunch of stuff that me and Sean never got to from last week. We spent so much time talking about uh, our fantasy pool. I'm going to talk about some of that stuff. Um, So that'll be the show for this week. So to start off, how did my fantasy weeks go? Well, I did okay. Did okay. Could have been a, a meh week, but it turned out to be an okay week. So, as always, we'll start off with the big pool. So, for two weeks in a row now in the big pool, I have faced the... Last week was the 17th place team out of 18. This week was the 18th place out of 18. Uh, And both weeks, I managed to eke out a one-category win. Last week was 5-4. This week happened to be 6-5. And why is that? Well, first of all, it wasn't because of my offense. Uh, Because I took every offensive category, including hits. Uh well every player category but plus minus he was I was even he was he was plus seven so um that was tough but the tough week for me was my goaltending is currently in shambles. Uh, Freddie Anderson's been hurt for like two months now and I basically have been making hay with the Islanders tandem of Varlamov and Sorokin. Uh Sorokin's been shit lately. Varlamov's been kind of good, so that helps. But still, I'm only getting one team starts and goalies and wins. Uh, I actually had to add Corey Schneider to my team currently, just in case Varlamov is actually hurt long-term, because he's not dressing tonight. Uh, I know they'll just run Sorokin, but in the off chance that they get Schneider in there for even an appearance, like I kind of need those when you need three starts a week. But what screwed me this week, because I lost every single goaltending category pretty cleanly, um, he had Mr. Cam Talbot. And we're going to talk about Mr. Cam Talbot in the fantasy shoutouts. Because, boy, did he have... Actually, we're going to talk about a few Ottawa Senators in our fantasy shoutouts. But before we do that... Oh, here we go. One thing I wanted to remember to talk about. Quick update on my recent trade acquisitions. Braden Shen and Trevor Moore. Trevor Moore, not a great week. Minus two, but 11 shots and one hit. You break a 10 in shots or hits every week. I'm still going to be happy if you're not putting up points. But I need you to eventually put up points. The Kings are in a weird spot right now. We'll see. That line's going to get hot again. Arvidsson was out. It'll work. But Braden Shen, on the other hand, one goal, three assists, plus three, power play point, five shots, four hits. Love to see it. Didn't really need the extra offense this week, but that is just a fantasy shout-out for Braden Shen since we're doing the little trade acquisition update. So I am going to, I know there were some trades in this pool, I think, since the last week, but we're not going to, I'm going to save all the trades for Sean next time he comes on. The next time Sean comes on. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Points pool. Lost. Last week, I led the league in total points and I got a win out of it. This week, I was third last in total points, got a loss out of it. Still only lost by like 22-ish fantasy points. Not terrible, not great. Uh, I did get 125 fantasy points on the week. Usually in a week where you break 120, you're probably going to have good odds to at least be pretty close. But points have go- going crazy. This scoring's obviously up. So that makes a big difference. So maybe this year you kind of want to hit 120 before you think you might be able to get a win. Uh, okay, I have some shoutouts in there, but we'll do those after. And then over to the auction pool, I pulled off a 5-4 victory over the second place team. I'm still in seventh, but I am technically one game over 500 now, so that's good. Climbing slowly. Um, a bunch of like I've lost Kane and Riley in this pool, just like I have in points pool. Um, so that's been tough. I did recently pick up a potential LA starter, uh, Phoenix Copley. So let's see if that works out. I also grabbed Vegmelka not that long ago because I just had the Florida tandem and nobody else after Pit. Pedersen got sent down by L.A., so he's been fine. He got me a win this week, at least. His, you know, his peripherals weren't great, but he got me a win. But this pool, this matchup was tied going into the final game uh, on Sunday night. Uh, it was a four-four tie or no, five-five tie, uh, and I needed a goal to tie him up in goals. To get the 5-4 win, and I got a goal from Toffoli in the last game. So, quick shout-out to Tyler Toffoli there for scoring that goal that helped me get that 5-4 win in auction pool. Okay, and that will start our shout-outs. That wasn't a technical shout-out. They are starting now, but Toffoli got a fantasy shout-out honorable mention, I guess, just like Braden Chen. Big fantasy shout-out to Andre Miller. Actually, if you had almost any Rangers this week, you probably did pretty good. Because um, they scored a lot of goals this week. Uh, Capo Caco, don't have him as a shadow, but he actually did some stuff this week. Which is pretty rare for him. Uh, but Kendra Miller, one goal, four assists, plus two, five shots, 11 hits. Let's go. Nice. In the big pool, that is a stellar, stellar fantasy week. And my defense has taken an absolute hit in that pool. Um, so it's nice that I've held on to him all year, and he's paying off now. Okay. Next up, we have the pretty much the reason why I didn't get as many points in the big pool last week. Mr. Cam Talbot, who had three wins, a 1.68, a 9.44, and a shutout. Yikes. That basically got him the win. Well, not. Got him every goaltending category in big pool last week. So... If I can get a week like that from Sorokin, boom, that, that's why you can, we, in the big pool, and now you're thinking I'm crazy that I've only been running one team's goalies for like weeks in the big pool, and I've been winning more weeks than I've lost. We had a guy win the entire pool with only the Blackhawks goalies all year. It can happen. If you can put up like a, not especially this year, if you put up like a 9-15, maybe a 2-5, GAA, and like two to three wins every week, you're going to, Take more of those categories than you're going to lose. It's The bar is not high, but it's not low. You just got to get. make sure you're getting your starts. That's the key, 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 key. Because you never, ever, ever, especially in the fantasy playoffs, losing a fantasy playoff week because you didn't get your goaltending starts would be a heartbreaker. And in that pool, it is borderline impossible to grab a guy off waivers to get a start, especially a spot start. You'd have to plan that like a month ahead, maybe even make it like, if you need an extra goalie, borderline have to trade for one at the trade deadline just to get a guy on your roster that you might even not play. You just need him for a start here there. That is definitely a pool where you are benching goalies sometimes. Okay, next out, The Bobrovsky man is back. He's gotten played more, so he finally had a decent week. He had two wins, a 1.68 and 9.46 and a shutout. Now, the only pool I don't have him in is the big pool, which if you're listening to what I just said with Cam Talbot and what I just said with Bob, if I had played, like, okay, imagine if I had only played Bob versus Cam Talbot last week. Talbot would have won in wins. They would have tied in goals against. Bob would have won by .002 save percentage, and they would have tied in shutouts. So it basically would have been a break-even. Crazy. Okay, some player shoutouts. Uh, once again, like I said, the Rangers were super hot last week. Vinny Trocheck finally had himself a week. Two goals, five assists, plus three, two power play points. Four shots on goal and eight hits. Uh, this guy's perennially all season been on the uh, expected goals for, but on the negative, which basically means that he's been very unlucky. Uh, so if you were able to hold on to him, it's probably paying off for you. Sam Reinhardt, another guy who's been absolutely snake bitten this year. I have him in the points pool, played him in the auction league, so that was kind of a bummer. 4 goals, 2 assists, plus 4, one power play point, 8 shots on goal, 2 hits. Nice little week for Sam Reinhardt and hopefully means he's going to start coming back into form here because I definitely need him. I kept him over some guys that I definitely should have kept instead in points pool. But that's a story for another day. Okay, next up, the Minnesota tandem of Kaprizov and Zuccarello went off this week. Kaprizov had eight points. Zuccarello had eight points. Kaprizov had a two and six. Zuccarello had a five and three. Decent peripherals, 13 shot seats, a couple power play points, pluses. Decent week for both those guys. Last up, before we get into our poo-poo and super-duper, Since I played him this week and he had the most fantasy points of anyone in our points pool matchup, and that includes Bob's two wins and a shutout. Uh, Connor McDavid, three goals, five assists, minus one. Very Connor McDavid. Uh, five power play points, 21 shots on goal, 15 faceoff wins, four blocks. Okay, two points. 15 faceoff wins? is Does he take faceoffs? What the fuck? How does he only have 15 faceoff wins? How is he ever taking draws? Is he only taking? I kind of want to look into that, or is he just terrible? How do I look up Connor McDavid? Now I want to look up his face off percentage, and I don't even know how to do that quickly right now, so we're not going to do it. This is where I would need somebody to be like, oh, yeah, Tyler could, or whoever, I'll look that up, but may have to think about that for another little topic here. Uh, speaking of face percentages, my poo poo performer of the week is Mr. Ryan O'Reilly who only got me fantasy points, but only .9, which is less than one assist, because he had 30 face-off wins this week. But he managed one shot on goal and one block. 30, fa- okay, that's why McDavid had 15 and he had eight points. Ryan O'Reilly won 30 face-offs. 30 face-offs, had one shot and no points. How is that fucking possible? How? So you're getting your team possession probably 55 to 60% of the time and you're just generating nothing. Just nothing. Nothing. Not even like you're not even a plus one even. What the fuck? He's a guy I definitely want like every time I look, I'm like, I gotta drop this guy, but I'm like, one time he's gonna have a week where he gets like two shorthanded points and a power play point out of nowhere, and it's gonna win you a week. And I'm not like okay. Obviously, I lost last week, but I'm doing decent. I'm putting up decent points every week in a pool where I'm down two keepers right now. So I don't know. We'll see. He is a straight center. Moving on, as I mentioned earlier, with Cam Talbot, the Ottawa centers had themselves a week. I definitely could have shot it. Did a little Giroux shout out in the shout outs, but I said it not too excited. So many already. Uh, my super duper star of the week, though. Is a guy who hasn't been having the best season, but is starting to bounce back now. Mister Alex DeBrincat, two goals, six assists, minus two, very Senators. Six power play points, nice. Nineteen shots and two hits. He almost had twenty shots last week. That's the DeBrincat I like. Let's go. Bring back the twenty shots a week. I need that. Like I smoked him in shots last week, and it was, it was a trade off in a lot of offensive categories, but. I crushed shots last week with that. Uh, How many shots did I have in the big pool? Uh, I don't have it up here anymore. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. We're not even going to look it up. But I had 141 shots in the auction. Because a few guys like... Giroud put up 13. Matthew's 14. Nylander, 12. Fiala put up 14 and no goals, which is classic. Hintz had 14. Uh, One last shout-out to Rasmus Dallin. Five points. Uh, Three power play points, nine shots, three hits. It's coming. Darlene is here. Darlene is here. So are some of his teammates. Uh, Shout out to Tage Thompson for doing Tage Thompson things seemingly every night now. Okay, so there have been, usually I like to do signings and trades when I have somebody else on, but there's a bunch to catch up on and there's a few leaf trades in there and I figure people would not, but they will be getting my take on two super minor deals, which I'm pretty sure we already talked about one of them. But since he's been playing pretty well, we'll bring it up again. But first up, let's do some signings. Uh, I did a random, I forgot when we last talked about signings. I'm pretty sure we ca- talked about Kochukov, so I'm going to skip that one and move on to the eight-year deal that 26-year-old Rupe Hintz signed with the Dallas Stars for $8.45 million which you would assume will now set the bar for what they're going to allow Jason Robertson to make. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in that. Um, Given the fact that Sagan and Ben both make 9.8 and 9.5. That that awkward silence was me realizing that Jamie Ben makes 9.5. I knew Tyler Sagan was making way too much money. I forgot that Jamie Ben was also making insanely too much money. So they got Robertson at 7.7 for four more years. Like what an absolute steal that is. Wow. I mean, on okay. So we're talking about the Scott So he was being 3.1. So you're more than doubling his salary. Uh he is 26 years old. This contract will take him till he's 34. You obviously gave him more years to bring down his AAV. Uh, He's basically a point per game first line center at this point. When he went down last year, his line completely fell apart. Um, Robertson is also very good. Like, do they? I mean, I have no problems with this deal. Anything under 10 right now, this is under nine. For a guy who for sure is going to be a point-per-game player for at least four years of this deal, like at least half this deal, probably more, the cap's only going up. Like, this is, yeah, this is a great deal. This Dallas team, if they can get, once they get, you know, Sagan, I mean, it might not even matter. They might be able to do some stuff with it, like... Will they bring back Pavelski next year? Like he makes five point five this year, and I feel like if he wants to play, I would. If I'm him, I'm one hundred percent going back to this. I'm going here until my legs fall off and they don't want me anymore. But him making five point five next year, I can't. They got to squeeze him now. Like they got to be like, hey man, like it's time. It's time we got to get like Giryanov's got to be gone. He's doing nothing. Two point nine would be his qualifying. So yeah, there's no way they keep him around. Who else are they lose in here? That's lower end guys. Pavelski at 5.5. Their D is pretty much locked up for next year. I mean, Heiskanen's a stud. He's coming out huge. Lindell's what he is, and he's only 5.8. That's perfect. Suter at 3.6 is just, well, that, we'll see where that goes. Colin Miller, Hackenpot 1.5 is awesome for what he brings. Uh, Nils Lungfist was probably a decent pickup. He seems to be okay there. I mean, yeah, they'll be fine. And obviously they have Otter for two more years at least at four. They can bring in anybody to be his backup. They're finally getting that $2.2 million of Kudobin off their cap after this year. So between him and Pavelski and $3 million from Kiviranta and Glenn Denning, you're looking at basically $10 million that you're freeing up here. Rupe is going to be going up five. So you're taking, basically you're, what you're losing in Pavelski you're giving to Rupe. So what you're truly gaining is the 3.5, the three and the, so basically 5 million and they are, they have like five, 400,000 in cap space. So yeah. They probably won't have any, well, if they can lose off that's two point. Yeah. They could sign somebody still or bring on, they can't bring on any money this year without moving any out, um, which is probably why Garyanov has to be gone. I wonder who will take because they're not going to want to. Yeah, I think they should just salary dump him at this point. He's an RFA, though. Can't really. Are they just not going to qualify him? I have it. Mm, that, yeah, but if you don't qualify him, then you're not getting any cap space from him this year, and they might want to make an ad somewhere. Like, if I'm them, I'm trying to grab a top-six forward somewhere. I know they like Wyatt Johnston and Ty Doolandria a lot, but you can't rely on those guys when the playoffs come around. You can't rely on rookies when the playoffs come around, unless they're really low in the lineup, but not in a top-six role. Okay. Other signings. Trevor Moore, former Leaf. Five years, $4.2 million by the LA Kings. He is 28 years old. I guess this is based off the Zach Hyman deal, if you will. Um, He's had two this. I know this team has lots of space that they can make, but he, he played how many? He had 48 points last year. He's never had 20 goals, and he's never broke 50 points. He's probably on pace this year for probably about what he did last year, 50 points ish. So you gave up 4.2 million. We're going to circle back if Tyler comes on next. I want to see how he feels about this. I think it's fine, but it's just five years seems like a lot for this guy. Five years seems like a lot. 4.2, I'm not. I don't know. He hasn't played a lot of games yet, so maybe he's got some wheels under him. Who knows? Okay, last up, Stuart Skinner. This one just happened today, I think. Uh, 24 years old, three years, 2.6. That's a hell of a deal, honestly. Like, that's great. If he is what he is right now for those three years, that's a steal. Then you can afford to play Campbell at what you're paying him right now because then you're still, what, 8000000 million-ish for tier two, two goalies. That's fine. With the cap going up, that's fine. I mean, you're in cap hell there. Okay, let's just do a quick Edmonton Oilers cap hell check. What do we got going? What garbage is floating off the dock here? Anything big. Any big garbage. We got a couple small garbages here. Bunch of small garbage. Any big garbage float... Down here. Oh. Yeah, but those guys are on... That doesn't even matter. So you're not really... Okay, seven fifteen dead cap from Lucic. is you get that back and Sequeira, so like two million, like that's nothing. You got a bunch of four. You okay? So they can't spend any money. They want to move Puyarvi. He's three million with an RFA. I you're nutritioning this guy but whatever send him to somewhere and i mean if i'm any team that can actually develop somebody and give him a whole totally going after this guy because at this point you you're bending them and saying this is a salary dump so what do you want fifth a sixth a minor league player like where are they does it say how many contracts they're at here okay yeah they got tons of contract space tons they got four injuries, but only Kane's gonna be coming back. Clefbaum and Smith obviously aren't. And both those guys are UFA after this year. So but that's LCIR space. So that's not really doing anything. So this whole team, you're rolling this back, essentially. You might be like, what are you getting? You're not getting for <laughs> So are you moving Pouliarvi to add? Like what is happening here? You can't You got another year of Barry, you got another year of CeCe, you got inexplicably three more years of Brett Kulak, you got a billion years of Darnell Nurse, who does, (laughs) as we recently saw a George Greenway trip, you don't do anything, nine million dollars, you don't do anything. I mean, I'd like nine million dollars to do nothing, but still, like, so you gotta sign Bouchard. Ryan Murray's, I didn't I forgot he was even there. Uh you got Campbell at five million for four more years, and you got now Skinner for three more years. And they're both UFAs at the end of the deal. You only have Connor the Dry Settle's got two more years at 8.5 and then he's making like 13. And then you got three more years at Connor at twelve five and he's making like fifteen when that's up. You have that inexp like oh. You're gonna have 10 million tied up in uh okay, so let's say when dry and okay, so when dry settles is UFA, you're gonna have over 10.6 million tied up in a 33 year old Zach Hyman and a 32 year old Ryan Nugent Hopkins and a Thirty-three-year-old Vander Kane. If we so that's almost. (laughs) Oh my God! They're gonna have seventeen million dollars tied up in Hyman, Nugent, Hopkins, and Kane. While both Drysaddle and McDavid hit UFA. That's insane. That's terrible cap management. That's selling out for guys that won't win you a Stanley. Like, this is when, oh, they won it this year. Whatever. I'm just going to, I don't, I'm looking at this team right now. And unless Connor McDavid can score 100 points in the playoffs, there is no way this team could win a Stanley Cup as is built right now. There's no way. You'd have to have Stuart Skinner at a 940 for a whole playoff or jack whatever one of their goalies has to go like 940 for the playoffs and mcdavid and dry each have 50 points like they would have to be a record-setting playoff run and i'm not saying it's not possible i'm just saying that's that's very unplausible to me you know what we're gonna bring it up later but let's check they're at 79 percent now to make the playoffs and they are at 5.4 percent to win the stanley cup That's not terrible, but I mean, that's a lot of it is based on McDavid and the Colorado Avalanche are currently at 2.5% to win the Stanley Cup. And I mean, if you told me to put money somewhere right now, I'm not putting it on the Edmonton Oilers, though I guess they would be the better bet. So not Seward Skinner deals fine. You're once again, just putting duct tape on giant pieces of water and holes coming out of your lineup, but. I mean, you gotta you had to sign the guy. And, I mean, I actually think that's a decent contract. So, look at you go. Ken Holland, good for you. Thumbs up on one deal that you've signed. Okay, trades. Going over to Trade Town. Uh, the only trades that we're going to talk about, Timmons for Douglas, seems to be working out already. Right shot D for the Leafs, uh, who is putting up some points here and there uh, and looks like an actual NHL player. And they basically gave away a contract of – no, Curtis Douglas will probably not end up playing in the NHL. I would not assume. So, yay. The other one obviously happened today. That's Maulgan for Hunt. Um, I, this is a nothing burger deal. Tyler would be mad at me for even bringing it up. Since the lease. I just feel somewhat obligated to. Uh, Dryden Hunt is a defense first, bottom six forward. Dennis Morgan is a... I don't know what Dennis Morgan is. He was given opportunities. He didn't. He looked fine in the preseason. Every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, yeah, there he is. He's on the ice. He did a thing. But, like, he. It, it is very clear that he basically was going to be a top six forward or they were not going to need him. And he couldn't be a top six forward. It is probably the number one shopping list for Cal Dubas, I would assume, for this team right now, is not a defenseman because every guy they keep calling up from the. Marley's, uh, or anybody stepping in, like Timmins seems to be doing fine. The goaltending is fine. I mean, Samsonov had a terrible start in Washington, but I think given what we kind of know about that goalie, him maybe getting nervous and blowing that start isn't necessarily too surprising. It's also the first time the Leafs have lost by two goals or more. They're also the first time they allowed five goals, so whatever. It happens. Eric Gustafson got a hat trick. Like, that's not happening well, I don't know if that's ever happened before for him. So, if that tells you anything about how that game went. So, Morgan for Hunt, purely just shuffling deck chairs on the bottom for a better fit. So, you would assume that Hunt's going to come into the lineup, hit a bunch of people, and be on that Zach Aston Reese fourth pairing with whoever they're going to put their homberg, and just, you know, shut down guys and don't get scored on. Um, what I would really like to kind of see is the Leafs move out Kerfoot and then use that money to bring in, you know, somebody fun for that top six, but we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Um, uh, and given how it's going or my time, we'll keep going here. Okay. News I wanted to get to before I do anything else. Uh, OV 800 goals. Let's go. I think it's pretty clear, barring any crazy, catastrophic injury, um, that he is probably going to break Gretzky's record. He still has not passed Howe, but they are playing Detroit tonight, I believe. Uh, So I'm going to try and check out that game to see if it happens tonight. Against Howe's former team, uh, it's... So if you look at adjusted for error goals, Howe is still technically the leader, um, given how many goals he scored in error where nobody was scoring. But it is still crazy that Ovi has that many goals. Remember when we were talking on this podcast about Corey Perry potentially being a Hall of Famer, and he had—I don't even remember—like 300 goals. Ovi has eight eight hundred goals, eight hundred goals. Uh, I was going to do a little thing of, do you remember, you know, your favorite Ovechkin goals that he scored? And honestly, my my mild moonlighting as a Capitals fan during the peak Ovechkin era generally ended in just as badly a disappointment as it did uh, when I was a Leafs fan. Uh, And if you want to know, by the time the Capitals made their run to the Cup, I had pretty much fully switched over at that point. Uh, The only thing I really watched of that entire run was I did watch in overtime when they beat Pittsburgh and Kuznetsov scored the goal and did the bird, and that was pretty much all I wanted to see, Um, given how badly the Penguins had been beating them in the playoffs for years and been an absolute just thorn in my side it was just fun to see them finally beat them and then they did go on and win the cups so that was cool but 800 goals is crazy it's I mean Ted Leonsis has pretty much come out and said the owner of the Capitals that they are basically a franchise that is only worried about him breaking the record at this point they will not be tearing it down they will not be rebuilding while he is around and hats off to them for doing that Um, because when he goes on that run where he's getting close to breaking that record any away building he goes to is going to get crazy with Caps fans and other fans. So, I mean, it's good for the league. Truly, it is. I guess politics aside, even though you can't really separate him from his politics, um, he's not the only one. So let's not maybe center him out. I don't know. I feel like there are people that are slightly more powerful than Alex Ovechkin that have maybe done nothing about the person that Alex Ovechkin likes to <laughs> pal around with so maybe we should be looking at our own houses if you will. Uh okay. Weird tangent of political that I'm sure Tyler loves. If he was here, he would definitely jump in and just totally bash all over that. Uh speaking of bashing all over, uh Mullet Arena had a brawl when the Bruins were in town and a fan reportedly got their finger bitten off. Apparently you can see a video somewhere of the f- aforementioned bit off finger i did not look it up um, i guess that means mullet arena is going fine uh, if that's what's happening there i don't know i don't i mean arizona has been what they're supposed to be this year so there's no big surprises there this is a team planning for three years down the road and i mean given what they have and could potentially add this year i mean i think they're doing a I, that's a vision as I like to say on this podcast, uh, you got to have a vision as an organization for me to kind of not completely chide you all the time. You got to kind of be like, we are this, we're going here, or we are that and we're going here, then that's let's go. Okay, fine. Show me. And then it's, at that point, it's a matter of whether you can pull that off or not, which is a whole other story, but at least have a direction. Like if I want, like, that was the worst part for me all those years in the middling years is the least. it was like, we don't have a direction. You can't win with this team, and you don't want to lose right now. And it, that was the best part about when Shanahan came in. It was like, we're burning it down. We're doing this right. We're going to take on money for assets, all that stuff. That's what you got to do. That's what the Canucks should do. We're not going down the Canucks road right now, but that is what they should do. They did that OEL deal, which was terrible, and then they doubled down on Miller, and now they're losing Bo and yeah not going to go into the whole bull that stuff um he needs to be traded and they should just trade him for whatever they can get at this point it sounds like his value on the market isn't going to be as high as I even I was expecting which is kind of confusing to me but I guess it is what it is I I think he's one of the better ads um, at the deadline but what do I know I know he's shooting the lights out right now but if you look into it, he actually changed his game in the offseason to get more tipped pucks and stuff like that on the net, changes stick, and that is where he's getting a lot of these extra goals. So while this is a shooting percentage uptick, it is also because of a change in his gameplay, which means that it could be at least partially sustainable, which is kind of what you want. You want to make a change, then have it work, and then have it be sustainable. Okay, what are we going to talk about for the rest of this podcast? I mean, I'm getting close to an hour here already, so it's not going to be a lot of stuff. Um, I wanted this to be a longer topic because there's so much here to talk about. So maybe I'll branch it over into next week since there is more recent news. So let's do a little. Okay. We're talking about, I, don't, I haven't gone down this rabbit hole yet, um, but we're going to do it right now because we have a recent news thing to talk about or news occurrence, if you will, to talk about, and we also have my main topic, and these two things kind of brushed into each other in a perfect way, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take the first topic on this list of topics and talk about it and see how long that goes for, and this might be the last thing I talk about today. Might be. We'll see. So, Mr. Philadelphia Flyers coach John Tortorella made the news this week, Uh, Not because his team's really good. Um, They are notably very bad and can't score. So he scratched his number one center and the leading point getter on the team, Kevin Hayes, for a game. Uh, Lucas Sedlak, who was claimed on waivers by the Flyers from the Colorado Avalanche, also decided to leave the team. He was put on unconditional waivers and will clear. He is going back to Pardubice to play. Uh, He didn't really say it was because of the team or anything. But he did kind of make mention of the fact that he signed with the Avalanche because they were a team that was going to win and winning is fun. Uh, so I think, I mean, I guess kudos to him for not burning the bridge or whatever. But he was here and then he went over and then he came back again. And I think he thought signing with the Avalanche that he was at the very least, even if he didn't play, he would be on a really good team and have a chance at playing in the playoffs or winning a cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, or at least have some fun. Uh, and he got claimed by the Flyers where he went to Tortorella's Helltown uh, and basically said, I don't care how much you're paying me, I'm going home. And honestly, I have a lot of respect for that. And I also think it's hilarious that somebody making that much money can also just be like, you know what, this is not worth it. I am out of here. Because wherever he goes, he's not going to make as much. He's going to make decent money and he's going to be clearly be like, he even said, like when I played over in the KHL I was you know getting played all the time and I was scoring and blah 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 and I knew coming over here my role would be diminished but this is not where I signed to play and this is not fun to be here essentially it's not what he said but that's what he kind of imitated or intimated so he left bye so Tortorella okay first of all I I He probably needed to coach in Philadelphia at some point in his career. If we never see him as a coach again after this, that's fine. He ended his career in the place that he probably should have always been. He fits it. I get it. Not anymore. Not anymore. This is not the team that needed to bring him in. This is the team that fits his profile. This is not when they... This is You bring Tortorella in because you're like, we think we're good enough to make the playoffs but we're not good. You know what I mean? Like this is the guy, like he can bring bad teams into the playoffs by doing his bullshit where you don't score. You just stop the other team from scoring. You get all your little overtime points and overtime loss points and ties or whatever you want to call them, all your bonus points. And then you sneak your way into the eighth spot and you play as boring as you can. And maybe your goalie gets hot and you can win a round one. And maybe that could have happened, but this team is not that team first of all they're okay speaking of the Oilers this team also has just just insane contracts like Chuck Fletcher just got here and was like I could make this so much worse I could fuck the next 3 GMs that are going to come to this team with all this garbage on this long term okay Ryan Ellis obviously he's out could be long term could be forever he's got Four more years at six point two five. I mean, if he's out forever, then he's probably some random team's gonna acquire him just to get cap space. Um you have Sean Couturier, injured reserve, but he's got one, two, he's got a bunch of years. He's got too many years at seven point seven. Like enough years you can't trade this guy. You're signing him till he's a hundred years old can't sign him. Can't trade him now. That's like we've talked about this when this contract was signed. The most important thing about a contract if you're not planning on winning is could I trade this if it goes south? And you can't trade this contract. You can't. He's going to be like 35 making 7.7 million and barely able to skate probably at that point. Like it feels weird to think that he is on he is going to Ryan Kessler injury his way out of this league maybe. And that sucks because he was really fun. He was a really good player at his peak, but his body's breaking down maybe. Who knows? Then you got Cam Atkinson. Two more years at 5.8. You don't need this guy. You traded for him, but you can't use him anymore. He's not useful here. Could you trade Cam Atkinson? You could probably move that If you're willing to eat some money, you could 100% move that deal. If you could take that in half, if you're willing to eat half that contract, you might... You might be able to get something for him, not much, but you might be able to get something, so that might be true. You might be okay there. Carter Hart, you're not obviously not trading him, he's got one more year at 3.9, and he's an RFA. He's 24, man. He's 24. You're looking at it's like this team has nothing for prospects, nothing that's superstar level. I mean, they could potentially draft one this year. if they Okay, if they draft Dart this year, then I guess everything changes. But if they don't, they're looking at probably like three to four years before they're even competitive again, let alone like a contender. So you're looking at Carter Hart at 24. And by the time you're ready to even be decent, he's 28. And I mean, goalies, yeah, that's fine. I guess that works in your timeline. But is he going to want to stick around for three or four years of garbage? And... Is that going to be good for him as a goalie? Because that's the thing. Goalies can break down if they're overworked. They can get injured. They can have long-term injuries. And those can definitely affect them for the rest of their career. So you're going to have this guy just get pumped here for like three or four years before they're decent. And then be like, hey, you can be good now again, right? I don't know. To me... This is one of those things where it's like, hey, you do if you want, do the stupid letter. Do the stupid letter that the Rangers did where they turned it around quick. But you have nothing to build around here but him, maybe. Maybe. Let's go through the rest of the roster. Let's see what else. Okay. Uh, let's do, are they tradable? Are they gone soon? Or are you stuck with them? And can you build around them? So let's, okay, Carter Hart, let's just say you keep him, fine. Let's, he's a piece. Okay? He's something. You got Cam York is apparently supposed to be, but that's, he's 21. Like it's not, I don't think he's going to be Adam Fox or something like that. Like I don't, he could just be a guy. Uh, You have Travis Sanheim for like eight more years. He's 26. Okay. So there's your second block. You got a Travis Sanheim. He's actually fine. Once again, though, are you going to overwork him in the bad years? That by the time your team's good again, you can't, you don't have good Travis Sanheim anymore. You have whatever's left of him, and the fact that he's 26, like that could definitely be a possibility. Okay, Tony Dier, I'll be like, no, uh, you got four more years of Rasmus Salina at 5.1. If anyone I thought could bring value back to this guy, be Tortorella, and that does not seem to be happening so you're stuck with this guy and you can't build around him you can't trade him not at that that damn anymore like this is the guy you shouldn't assign to thank god it was only five million i don't know how the hell you only got him for that but okay next up you have pro 25 he's got two more years at 6.75 then he's a ufa and he will be 27 this is the guy that you move he is a left shot though that's tough if you can find value out there this is the guy i move first but I, to me, once again, no value right now. He hasn't really shown much. He hasn't been much. I mean, he's been on crappy teams most of his career, but I don't know. What value is there? I mean, he's 25 and he's a left shot. He's technically not hitting peak yet for a defenseman. 6.75 if he's top two or top four isn't terrible. Maybe you can get some value there. Forward group, I mean, we got like Morgan Frost. He's might be something. Noah Cates might be something. Owen Tippett actually looks like he... 1.5 million next year. He's 23 and then he's an RFA. Okay, let's... we Okay, we'll be generous. We'll rope him into the San Hyman. You have one forward. I'm not getting, Morgan Frost hasn't shown me enough yet. Um, Nick DeLaurier. Like, let's not even talk about that contract. So you got three more years of Scott Lawton at three 3 million. Can't do it. You're stuck with him. You got Joel Farabee for... Eight more years, I think, at five million. Like, I mean, I don't know if anybody's trading for that deal right now. Connect me, apparently they've been trying to get rid of two more years at five point five. I feel like at twenty-five years old, and then he's a UFA, like you could probably definitely this is a guy if I'm the leafs, I'm looking at. Um, but the cap space is tough. But if you can get them to take Kerfoot back or something, and then me is a guy I'm definitely looking at. Uh, if I'm a team sniffing around to see, if, especially if you want to guy with term, like two more years at 5.5, that's fine. Especially if you, if you can get him to eat a little bit, to give him a little more, get that guy for like 4 or three, five, then you're talking. JVR, 33, he's got 7 mil mill this year, then he's UFA next year. This guy's 100% the first guy out the door. Like they have to already have a bunch of offers on this table for this guy. You eat half that, 3.5 hundred percent this is a playoff guy that you put in your bottom six and he'll get you some goals. You can put him on your power play unit if you want net front. He's still got some he's got some game left. His, he's never been a fast guy. He's never been a fast guy. He is a crash the net and good hands grease grease scorer and that is exactly what you need in the playoffs. Like that's if he wasn't making so much and <laughs> you could get him for next to nothing. He's a guy I would, yeah. If I'm a playoff team, he I'm sniffing around. Okay, last up. First line center, Kevin Hayes. Three more years, 7.1. I mean, he's 30 years old. You're, you're probably not moving that. You're stuck with him. So, your best trade asset is probably JVR, which is going to get you... <laughs> If you eat half of it, you're lucky to get, like, a third-round pick, maybe. A second and a pro a middling prospect? I don't know. I don't know what you're giving up. He's not – like, his – what was – okay. I don't – I haven't had him in fantasy for a lot of years. I don't really pay attention to what he's doing. Let's just look up his – so he had 38 points out here and 24 goals. Like, that's something – minus 33 is tough, but – then 43 and 56 the year before, that's decent. But, like, once again, like, doesn't necessarily always stay healthy. 40, like, his career is, his career high in points is 62. And he had 36 goals one year with the Leaves because he went absolutely crazy that year. Net front. And then the Flyers were like, he could sustain that. It was a career high and he was in his late 20s. Sure, we'll do crazy. Like, he's never really been, he's a minus 67 career. Like, he's never really been a defensive stalwart here. What a weird thing for Philly to do. He had 27 the first year. 48, that's fine. 48 and 66, but that's not worth your contract. So he's had not one single 30-goal season. 24 and 27 are his two highest. Bunch of 40, like, he's just a guy. 38 points and a minus 33 last year. That's chef's kiss. That's amazing that's that's a way to bring borderline no value to your team even though you have 24 goals. oh man, that's crazy. yeah so if the flyers actually do rebuild, it's gonna take a while because there's nothing here and it in the amount of time it's gonna take you like you unless you absolutely hammer a hit on okay so this is what I would do. Ride the season out, trade everything you can. Get rid of JVR, any of these little guys, any money, long-term money that you can move out, absolutely do that as long as it's not costing you a bunch. Ideally, not retain anything on that stuff. Like Atkinson's a guy I'm probably also looking at potentially trying to get out, out the door. Um, And then once the you figure out how the draft goes, see who you get in the draft. I don't think you should take a guy you get in the draft and be like, oh, we can build around. Like if it's a Bedard, okay, fine. Maybe there's a couple other guys at the top that maybe you could immediately be like, oh, this is your franchise changing now. Right now. Like now, now. Not like two or three years down the road. But now, okay, then you look at everything again. And see your t- Like, reassess. However, if you do not get somebody that can come onto your team next year or the year after and not play, but have an impact. And by impact, I mean top six forward, top two defensemen, Obviously, you can't really do the goalie thing. And I mean impact. And like bringing a defenseman on in two years and having them that's not, that doesn't really happen. So let's just say forward. If you can get an impact forward that within, let's just say two years is going to be an 80 to 90 point forward. That's not happening, first of all. But if you do, if you think you do, then see what happens. But if you don't, after that draft, Or going into that draft based on where you're sitting. Everything's gone. You're sending everything out the door immediately. But you're starting with the garbage. You're getting that garbage overboard as much as humanly possible. Any long-term deals, all of it. See you, Connect me, all of it. If they don't have no, like, it doesn't look like Faraby has a no trade here. Gone by Atkinson, if you can move him, obviously you can't move Couturier. Like, there's guys you can't move. I don't think you should move Carter Hart immediately. I think he should be kind of like, you talk to. that's a guy you talk to. Sanheim's stuck here. Carter Hart is a guy you have to sit down and be like, look, this is what we're doing. How do you feel about it? Because if he's like, I'm not going through that, then you get him out while well, the value's good. But if he's like, I'm cool, I'll stay here with Sanheim and whoever else, and we'll see how this goes, then okay, fine. But Hart, Sanheim... Let's just say of the guys that have contracts, Hart, Sandheim, and I guess Farabee. Other than that, everybody else is gone if you can move them. And then uh, everybody else, you wait. Like You're going to have Hayes is off the board after 25-26. Lawton's off the board then. Delorier's off the board then. Konechny's already UFA and gone. So at that point, you have Farabee. You have one more year of Risto. Whatever's left on Sandheim's deal. And if you have Carter Hart signed... Um, and then that's last year of Ellis's deal too if he's still around. So there that's that's what you're looking at. That's what you're circling. Chuck Fletcher's wait never going to do that though. But me looking at this, if I'm coming in as like the president or whatever Shannon does, I'm circling 2627 and saying this is the year that we have to start being competitive. This is the year we're aiming for. How do we make how do we make the playoffs in 2627? So in 4 years how do we make the playoffs? Because with this roster, they're not making the playoffs in the next four years. They won't make the playoffs, period. Like, who knows? Like, nah, man. They're going to be bad for a while without even trying to be bad. It's not good. Let's just, for funsies, since I had it up here, let's check out... Where are we going here? Before I end the pod, because I'm going to be ending it soon. Wow, they're way... Okay. I'm just looking at some advanced stats for... Yeah, their core C4 percentage is 46. Their goals 4 percentage is 45. Like, they're not. They're 10 underwater in differential. And five. That's five on five. That doesn't even count power play. Like, they're not. Where are they? They have one of the worst expected goals for in the league. And one of the worst. Yeah, they're not good. Even with torts there, they're still terrible, offensively and defensively. Sure, they okay. it is hilarious that they won the night that they scratched Kevin Hayes, but um, what is there, just for fun, they have a 0.5% of even making the playoffs. Um, Just some quick money puck numbers, if you're wondering here. Um, The Sabres are at 23, and the Islanders are at 21 to make the playoffs. The Predators are at 16. Blues are only at 11. Montreal's at 1.7. Woo! Um, Oh, God, don't let Bidgarter go there. Oh, that would not be fun. Okay, well, I've done my obligatory hour here, it looks like. So, thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast this week, and I will talk to you next week.